But uh, I want to share a text with you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, it will be on the screen. Uh, I'm in the ESV, so you can follow along, I think. Really, this little eight-verse paragraph has a, what I call a focus verse in it. And everything in the other verses, look at that verse, okay? Uh, the verse that's kind of my focus verse in this is verse 3. Where it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. I know that is a sensitive subject, but that's going to be part of my message today. And I hope it will be a, a part of the message that's a blessing to you. Uh, so that, that's what we're going to focus on. That's what this text focuses about. God's will, your sanctification, abstain from sexual immorality. And I think I can show you the importance of that as we move through this paragraph together. But I want to have a word of prayer and then we're going to consider that focus verse a little bit and then the other verses. Lord God, it is so good to be here. Thank you for that wonderful message and song that we just heard. and As well as all of us being able to sing together and pray together and fellowship together and, and be a body. God, that a group of people that you have called to yourself and and we are joined together in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we're also joined together as a body. So I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that that truth would always just ring true in our mind when we gather. That It's much more than just gathering on the riverbank somewhere or something. It is a body. It is a group of people focused on Jesus. So thank you for that. I pray, Lord, for this message today. I, not so much what I might say, but just the scriptures. Let the scriptures speak to our mind and to our heart today. God, let it not just be some type of spiritual facts that we hear and we get spiritually fat on it. God, let it be truth that really penetrates our hearts and our minds and, and brings, brings forth fruit that bring honor and glory to you. That's my desire today, Lord. You know each of our hearts. You know the successes we have in this area. You know the struggles that we have. Lord, even now, maybe some say, well, man, this don't apply to me, but it does. God, help us understand it applies to every person sitting in this sanctuary today. Give us ears to hear that you, what you would have us to hear. Hearts that we desire to apply it to ourselves and to our families, to our church. May you be honored today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So he starts out with that first little, what I'm calling the focus verse this morning. And I'm not going to read it all yet, Bonnie. Bonnie, you don't have to stand up yet. I'm not going to read it yet. I'm going to read it here in a little bit. So, yeah. right. Hey, thank you for your anticipation. I appreciate that. But I appreciate you doing that. But I'm doing this a little bit different. I'm looking at this focus verse. And then we're going, after a few minutes, we're going to get in on this eight verses, okay? Not necessarily verse by verse, but we're going to group these verses together and see what Paul is saying to this church in Thessalonica. So the first thing I want to do is just get an understanding about sanctification so that we're all on the same page when he says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Okay? When I think of sanctification, and, and I know many of you do as well, we think of sanctification in three stages. Some people call it positional, progressive, uh, final, complete. Uh, I just call it three stages. I'll, I'll go, those are good names. The first stage it's when we have been living our life in darkness and we are spiritually dead. And God in His grace comes to us and by His Spirit, He wakes us up. He gives us new life. 
He converts us. We, we become a child of God. And at that moment, he begins to change our desires and our morals. And we are what the scripture calls set aside. Sanctification. All right? Now, really, a good definition of sanctification is just God at work in us, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. I, I like that. It's simple. It's brief. But like I say, it's often used in a past tense. In 1 Corinthians, uh, I can find it here, chapter 11, verse 6. No, 6, 11, I'm sorry. Verse 6, verse 11. He says this. Now, listen to how he talks about sanctification. Such were some of you, but you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And when the scriptures use sanctification in that text, we think of him speaking of as that when we are saved, God sets us aside for his use. We are people who are sanctified. That's why Paul can speak to a Corinthian church that's got more troubles than we can ever imagine. And he calls them saints. Saints in Christ. Those who have been set aside. If you're a believer today, in that tense, you are sanctified. You are set aside by the grace of God. Now there's this second, what I call stage, which is this lifelong process of from, from when we have been saved until Jesus comes back and we get to glory. We are living this life, and the Bible says in this time that God is at work in us and that we are also involved in this process of sanctification from here to glory. Okay, Philippians 2.12 kind of talks about that. Where he says, work out your own salvation with, true in, excuse me, with fear and trembling because God works in us for his will and his good. He's working for his pleasure. So those two verses show we are at work and God is at work within us. That is this time from conversion to glory. We are growing. And it would be so wonderful if we got saved and, man, we just made a straight shot, never wavered. You know, we were just always God at work within us. We were just always being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Man, we were just growing, growing, growing. But regretfully, none of us can probably say that's us. Because the truth is, as we are growing in this life, there are times in this life that we, for some reason, lose a little bit of our desire for word or for worship or whatever, and we kind of take a step off to the side, and we kind of wander a little bit. And thankfully, if we're a child of God, God refuses to allow us to stay in that condition. And he, what Hebrews 12 calls, disciplines us because we are his children that he loves. So he disciplines us and he brings us back to this path that he has on us, uh, sanctifying us, okay? So that is kind of what we're talking about this morning. When I talk about this is God's will, your sanctification, he's talking about right now in this life, in this walk, we are to be coming more and more like Jesus Christ until that day that we see him in glory and we are changed. That's the final, if you want to call final sanctification, is when Jesus comes back and he gives us his new body, no more sin, no more illness, no more death. We are what the scriptures call completely sanctified. Okay, let me read a verse that teaches that. First Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we have these three if we can, stages of sanctification. When we're converted, as we're walking through this life, this conversion has nothing to do with our conduct, nothing to do with our character, nothing to do with our morals. It is simply because God in His grace rescues us from death and darkness and gives us life. But this part of our journey has to do with our character, has to do with our conduct, has to do with our morals, all those things that make up who we are as an individual. That is part of our sanctification. And someday, praise God, when he raises us, we will be what he called completely sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Okay, so that's what we're talking about when I talk about sanctification. So now, out of this text, let me give you some reasons, if you're a child of God today, why you should be concerned that you are growing in Christ-likeness. It is not God's plan for any believer in here to not be growing in Christ-likeness. That is that He is moving us toward. I encourage you, I'm not reading it, but go back to Romans 8, and you probably have 28 memorized that all things work toward the good of them, love the Lord, and call according to His purpose. And you follow through those scriptures, and He says what His purpose is, is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, so that is the work that Christ wants to do in each of our lives today who is a child of God. He wants us to be getting more like Jesus. Isn't that great? You know, and when we blow it, he loves us so much. He comes down, he has to, he spanks us, and he turns us back, gets us on the path that he would have us to go. So we are being sanctified. Now let me give you some reasons from this text why you and I should be concerned about this. One, as I've already said, it is God's will. Okay? That's one of the questions that I've been asked often in my ministry. And you have probably been asked, what is God's will? Well, I can tell you this is God's will. Your sanctification. It is God's will that you grow. That you grow in the grace and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your character and in your conduct and in your morals. You become more and more like Jesus. I know that is God's will for you. But I have a question for us this morning. Do we really believe that God's will is best for us? See, I think we have to answer that question. I think probably those of us who are Christians, we would quickly say, of course God's will is best for me. That's what I want. Well, you know what I see in the Scriptures? I see in the Scriptures that if we really believe God's will is best for us, there should be some characteristics of our life. Two of them I'll just mention quickly. One, we should love Him. If we really believe that God's will, that God has our best interest at heart, we should love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. Us, we should love him. You know how you get to love Jesus? You get to know him. When you get to know Jesus, you love Jesus. What's the second thing? If you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. The Gospels, if you will read through them, read through John 3. We all got verse 16 memorized. Read 18, read 36. And you will see that God's word intertrades believe and obedience. 
Verse 36, this is not word for word. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have eternal life. But those who are not obedient live under the wrath of God. See, if we are people who really desire God's will for us, we should be people who have a desire to know Him, a desire to love Him, a desire to obey Him. Why? Because obedience means we indwell in Him. If we indwell in Him, we bear fruit for His glory. That's the divine message over in the book of John. So we should want to if we really believe that God's will is what is best for us. Let's look at another reason. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, you ought to walk to please God. Just as you're doing, do so more and more. If you and I have a desire to live a life of sanctification, we should have a desire to please God. See, sexual immorality is just the opposite. Sexual immorality is always about pleasing self. And you say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. I got into this affair because I really loved that person. No, you didn't. You loved yourself. And you had some desires that you wanted to fulfill. Sexual immorality is always about self, pleasing self. When we are being grown into Christ's likeness, that changes God changes our heart and we begin to have a desire where we want to live our life in such a way that we please God. Look what Paul said over in Romans. Let's see, Romans 8, 6 to 8. It'll be on your screen. By the way, if you're interested in this, you ought to read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 and just think about it, okay? Listen to 6 through 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now listen. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in other words, if we want to be individuals who please God, we do just the opposite. We set our mind on the things of the spirit. We set our mind on the things above. We set our mind on those things which are pure, you know? And that is how we live a life that is pleasing to God. And these guys were doing it, but then he says, do it more and more. Just really live your life out in a way where your greatest desire is not to please yourself, but it is to please your heavenly Father. We want to please him. What's another thing? Well, another reason I see here. Because he talks about controlling our body. In verse 4, he said, you know, he didn't say you, you learn. He said, you know to these believers, you know how to control your body in holiness and in honor. Let me go back to Romans again. Romans chapter 6 again. Uh, just to look at what he says about how you and I can control our body. And once again, this mind is a very important part of what he's going to say. But I'm just going to kind of skip through here and read a few verses. Uh, 16, or do you not know that... Oops, I've got the... No, that's right, Romans. I got 1 Corinthians. I was reading that. I think that's not right. Okay, Romans 6, 16. Sorry about that. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, 
There's that word obedience again. Either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Then hop down to verse 19. Uh, he says in verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so that now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And then verse 22, he says there in verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So there are just reasons he gives us that you and I should desire this, this work of, of sanctification in our life. Because one, it is God's will. Because two, we want to please God. Three, because God has told us how we can control our body by what we submit it to. And then the fourth one is in verse 7. He says, you have been called to purity. Right? For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God did not call one person in this place to himself with the idea that I'm going to save you, but now I want you to scoot off on your own, and I want you to do your own thing. I want you to chase your own passions, your own desires. He never does that. He always saves us for the purpose of purity. That is his desire for us. Once again, are we perfect at that? No, we are not. But we should be growing in that area of purity. Man, if we have been Christians for 10 years and our conduct and our morals and our character is the same as it was 10 years ago, we need to really ask ourselves, what's up with me? Why isn't God at work in me and doing this work? Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, well, oh no, what about me? A lot of times it's other people that see that in you. But you need to be growing. You know what I just realized? I didn't read those eight verses. I talked about some of them. Let me read them right now. Because that's what we're looking at. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now then, I apologize for that. I should have read that before I started on the benefits. But hopefully, as I read that, you saw the benefits that Paul has told this church they have in doing this progressive working of God in them to become more Christ-like. Even motivations, you might say. We should be motivated that we want to please God, that we want to live in the will of God, that, that we want to honor Him with our bodies. We want to be pure in our flesh. That should be our desire. But now let's look at the other side of this. And I realize this is kind of a sensitive side, but I will not say anything that's wrong for mixed company. 
But I do think it's something that's very important that we as Christians, and I'm not saying every message we ever hear should be about this, not at all. Thankfully, pastor preaches through the scriptures. But it is a message, I think, that it's of dire importance that you and I as Christians should sit up, should listen to what Jesus is saying to us in his word here about abstaining from, from sexual immorality. So let's think about that for just a moment. He uses the word abstain. Okay, Most of us know what abstain means. It means you refrain from something or you voluntarily do without it or you just don't do it. Okay, You abstain. Now, I remember when my kids were in school and uh, that there was a big thing then in sex ed. It may still be the same thing. I don't know. But uh, there was a big thing about teaching abstinence. Man, and, and the world did not want us to teach abstinence. Why? The world wants people to fulfill their own desires. They want them to spend their time and their money and their life fulfilling themselves with all the stuff that the world is offering us. Man, that is not what God wants for us. God wants for us that we abstain from sexual immorality. And you may be here today and you're, you're a senior adult and you're thinking, well, Pastor Gary, this really don't apply to me. Yes, it does apply to you. It applies to you for your children, for your families, for your grandchildren, for your home for your church, it applies to every one of us who is sitting in here who is called by the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? If you have breath, this applies to you this morning. We need to be people who understand what it means to live and teach abstaining from sexual immorality. Uh, at one of my previous churches, I had a, a young mother, well, she wasn't a young mother, she's, she was a mother, and she, she sat down and she said she wanted to talk to me about all this sexual stuff that's going on. And it was a very bad situation that we was in at that point. And uh, so we talked about it, and she said, I just didn't know what to do. And I said, she had a 13-year-old daughter, and I said, well, what'd you do? And she said, I put her on birth control pills. I said, you what? You what? You know? And she said, I put her on birth control pills so she won't get pregnant. Right? Now, isn't something wrong with that, that thinking? You know, that, hey, God's Word tells us to abstain, but since I don't think my daughter can abstain, I want to make sure she don't get pregnant. You know, that is the wrong idea that you and I should have about this issue of abstaining from sexual immorality. So what do we talk about when we talk about sexual immorality? It is all kinds and types of sexual indulgence, Okay. Uh, it, it can be more than just the act, the physical act. It can be much more than that. So, so let's think about this just for a few minutes and please kind of bear with me and, and think through this with me and, and you can have some good answers for me maybe at the end of this. But let's think about this. This is one thing I'm saying. I'm not saying this is a terrible church and we got a bunch of sex addicts in it and that's why I'm preaching this, okay? That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, you know what? This is God's Word. And God's Word is full of warnings for us not to be involved with sexual immorality. I would almost challenge you today to take the New Testament and look at every list of sins 
in the New Testament, I believe every list somewhere you will find mention of sexual immorality in some form or shape. And other than that, many of the times, especially in 1 Corinthians and Romans and 1 Thessalonians, when you see a sex dealt with, it is sexual immorality. So what I'm saying is this is an issue of the scriptures. Yes, it is a sensitive topic, but it is biblical, which means you and I need to have a grip on what he is talking about here. So, yes, sexual immorality. Uh, the next thing I might say to you is, just like I said, uh, this Thessalonians church, this was Paul's, if I can use the word favorite, favorite church. He didn't show favoritism, but he loved this church. When he wrote this church, he talked about how they were an example to all the other churches. He talked about how they excelled in their faith. And he said, do that more and more. He talked about how the gospel had been proclaimed forth and went all over that country from that church. He talked about their love, how, their, how they loved just the way Jesus had said they should love. Man, he loved this church. And he makes a statement about the return of Jesus. And then it was like the Holy Spirit said, Good, Paul, but before we carry this on, we got to drop these eight verses in here and we got to talk about sexual immorality. So he wasn't saying this church is a terrible church. He was saying this church is made up of people. And one of the things that people struggle with is sexual desires, sexual temptations. And we as people, we need to know how to handle that stuff. We have an enemy, several enemies. We have Satan who wants to destroy us and our witness and our church and our family. We have our flesh that wants to be satisfied in ungodly ways. We just have the world constantly bombards us with sexual stuff. I was sitting in a restaurant the other night and I thought man this is great they got a cartoon for kids to watch and I kind of watched it in a little bit and an ad came on it's one of the most sexual alluring ads they could have on tv see what I mean it's, it's just it's there it's everywhere in front of us and we as a people we need to know how to deal with this about 15 years ago I did a class with some some friends of mine some brothers in in Christ and we dealt with some of these issues, some of the things that we're dealing with today. And in that class, we looked at some, some results. And it said, at that time, and like I say, this is probably 25 years ago that these facts were true. At that time, five out of ten men sitting in our pews had a problem with pornography. Okay? Now, I'm not sure what they deemed as pornography. Maybe watching a show that showed stuff that could, shouldn't, and they went back each week and watched it. Maybe getting on their computers, maybe getting on their phones, watching stuff they shouldn't. Five out of ten men. Now, I'm not throwing stones here, okay? I'm just trying to make a fact for us. Five out of ten, three out of ten women in our churches had some type of addiction to pornography. We just did a class, and we looked at some, some new stats. And these stats are probably five years now. These stats said now seven out of ten men in our churches have a problem with pornography. That's sexual immorality. Now that, that, was, that was bad enough. I had a friend sitting there. And you would know he's an FBI guy. 
And he said, yeah, but Gary, some of that's changed. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, that's seven of ten men, but now it's also seven of ten ladies in our church have addictions to pornography. Now, I know what you're thinking. I don't, she don't, she don't. That means that one, that one, that one. Right? No, no, I'm kidding. We don't do that. What, what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is this. This, this is a serious issue. This is a serious issue. God's word spends a lot of time dealing with this. And I'm afraid sometimes we try to kind of tiptoe around it. And I'm sure not saying our pastor does that. But a lot of people in the church want to kind of tiptoe around this, this subject of sexual immorality. Oftentimes because we're having problems with it. But let me explain to you what sexual immorality is. Some of you think sexual immorality is just acts of sex that's outside of marriage, right? You think it's fornication, you think it's adultery, you think it's homosexuality, you think it's self-satisfaction. Uh, I, I guess that's, about, that's what most people think. But it's much more. Sexual immorality is much more. It, it's this for one thing. Too many people in the church think that the marriage union means anything goes in fulfilling their desires. And I say that based on 40 years of loving people and talking to people. I have had couples come into my office many times. And we would talk and they're having problems in the marriage. And oftentimes it would go to their sexual relationship in marriage. And we would get talking and this, is, this would be the issue. They would watch movies on TV and see what's going on, you know. And then they would go to the theater and, and see these guys and girls, you know, doing all this stuff. And they would come home to their spouse and they would think that's the way it's going to be in my bed. Folks, that's just not reality. And if you take those kind of thoughts into a relationship with your wife and those kind of thoughts are on your mind, you are committing sexual immorality. Even though you're in a marriage union. See, the marriage union is not a free license to fulfill all your sexual desires. Especially those that are, I mean, those outside of God's plan. Another way that we commit sexual immorality is with our mind and with our hearts. We just fill our mind with pictures and things that are sexually immoral. And, and they just fill our mind. And we don't do anything about them. We just let them, you know, a thought is one thing. Probably everyone here, unless you're, I was going to say lying, but I won't say lying, unless you're better than me, have had thoughts that just, and you think, oh my gosh, where'd that come from? You know? And you immediately confess it to God and say, no, I don't want that in my mind. But there's far too many people that those thoughts come and they just let them kind of roll around in their mind. And before long, they're bearing fruit. And they may not be going out committing a sexual act, but in their mind, they are. That is sexual immorality. It is sexual immorality when you get desires in your heart that are not in line with the desires of God and you begin to commit emotional adultery or emotional acts with other people. That is sexual immorality. And God's word says, folks, this serious, abstain 
abstain from sexual immorality. And it applies today just like it applied in A.D. 51 when Paul wrote that letter to this church that he loved. Because it is something that we struggle with. Now what does he say here in this eight verses? Let me point these out real quick to you. One of the things he says, if you get caught up in sexual immorality, you are living like a lost person. Okay? I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but I'm saying you are living like a lost person. If you are allowing the passions of your lust to control you, Paul would call them unbridled passions at one time. If you allow those to control you, that is what moves you through life. You are living your life like a lost person. And I would pray that God would use that simple thought to say, hey, if this is you, you need to, you need to get before God and get rid of this. Because we want sanctification. We want to be Christ-like. We don't want to be living like a lost person. Another reason is in verse 6. It's because we hurt other people. We transgress or we trespass. We go beyond the boundary. We wrong our brothers. Sexual immorality never hurts one person. It hurts everybody that is involved in relationships with them. It hurts spouses. It hurts children. It can hurt churches. It never hurts just one person. See, this is the thing. Lust, lust. And I mean a bad kind, okay? I don't mean a good desire. I mean lust. It's bad stuff. Lust will promise you this. Lust will say, I will give you fulfillment. I guarantee any person who's ever followed after their lust, they chased it because they thought it would bring them fulfillment. I'm going to get in this adulterous relationship because I can find fulfillment in it. You know, I, I'm going to commit this act because I can find fulfillment in it's always about self it's always about a lie you can find fulfillment you know why i say it's a lie because lust never fulfills it don't <coughs> lust will say hey come and come and do this and you'll find fulfillment so you you just jump right on the train and you you follow and you act out on that and all of a sudden you find you're not fulfilled you find you're either full of shame or else you find lust is drawing you saying there's more to be had. Lust never gives fulfillment. Only Jesus Christ can give us fulfillment in life. But lust will come to us and say, no, I'm the one. I'm the one. So you're acting like a lost person. You're acting like a Gentile who's following his passions. You hurt other people. And then another one is in verse 6. Says the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but it does mean the Lord is an avenger of all these things. I can think of two things, three things. I can think of discipline. God will discipline his children. He will bring us around. He will do whatever is necessary to get our attention in life. So he will discipline us. Or, or the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, I believe it is. Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for every deed done in this body, whether good or bad. That doesn't mean we're going to lose our salvation. That doesn't mean we're going to give an account. 
And the third thing I would say is how he does this is he does nothing. What do you mean he does nothing? Well, what you sow, you shall also reap. Sometimes God will just let us reap what we have sown. And what we harvest is his discipline. See, God, God loves us too much to just let us go and live our lives. If we are a child of God, okay? He loves us too much to let us just go and do our own thing and fulfill our own passions, live life the way the world is telling us to live our life. And I know I'm talking to to man used to, you know, the ages have changed in all this. And man, we who are grandparents, gosh, and we who are parents, man, we better we better wake up if we haven't. You know, it's interesting some of the the stories I've heard about parents helping their children, telling them about the birds and the bees. It's, it's really interesting, you know. Uh, and I just kind of shake my head at some of them. Yeah, okay. And, and man, we need to be able to take God's word and say, you know, look here. You know, this is why we should be concerned about becoming Christ-like. See this in here? This is the reason we should avoid sexual immorality. Why? Because this is God's word. Now look at the last thing he says at verse 8. Therefore, if we live in obedience to God's call, these verses, you disregard. Let this, let this sentence get you. You disregard not man, but God. You know what that word disregard means? It means you despise or you reject God. When we choose to live our life by our own passions outside of the will of God, we're saying to God, by our actions, I despise you or I reject you. See the seriousness of this? That's why to this good church that Paul loved, Right in the middle of Jesus coming back, he said, hey, this is God's will. Your sanctification, abstain from sexual immorality. So let me just close with this. How, how, how do we do that? Well, if you're an unbeliever, the Bible says you're a void of the Holy Spirit. If you're a void of the Holy Spirit, you will not have victory over sin. Okay? You have no, you have no power to live above sin. You may never do any of this stuff that I mentioned about sexual immorality. You probably will in your mind, in your heart. You may never act on it, but you by nature are a sinner and you by choice are a sinner. And God's word is very clear that if you do not have a new heart, a new life of the spirit within you, you are separated from God. And you cannot have victory in life separated from God. You may be successful in many ways, but you won't be acceptable to God. The only way is by repentance of our sins, realizing we're a sinner, coming to Jesus in faith, trusting him alone as Lord and Savior. And I would love to visit with anyone about that, okay? That's a, another message. It's just that when you repent of your sins and trust Jesus, you are joined to Jesus. You are joined in his death. You are joined in his resurrection. So his life is joined to you. That is the way we overcome. But let's think about the eight verses. And let me just point out a few things real quick. One is the scriptures. You might have noticed when, when Paul was talking, he talked about, I've given you these instructions, which means commands, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he was saying, listen, this isn't me speaking to you. 
This is God speaking to you. This is God's word. Okay? So one of the ways we as people are walking in sanctification is by God's word. When we hear the word of God and we obey the word of God, that is one way that God is working sanctification in our life. Another way is this, and I hope I'm not, I think, I think it's real clear to me right there. He talked about, finally then, brothers, I ask you, okay? Ask is a word that means two people on the same level. It is used about prayer. When Jesus prayed to God, Jesus asked him, okay? This is Paul. Paul saying, listen, guys, I'm on the same level as you, and I ask you. Ask you to please be obedient to God. But then he said, I urge you in the Lord, which is a very strong word. It says, I command you to walk in the Lord. Man, you are joined to Jesus. Walk like you're joined to Jesus. What, what point am I making here? The point I'm making is this. One of the things that helps us in this fight against sexual immorality is other believers. Man, you are very blessed. If you have a man or a woman or spouse in your life that you can talk honestly with, that you can take off your mask of doing good works and good things, and you can just be honest. You can say, man, I am struggling with this in the scriptures. Help me. And they pray for you, and they take the word of God, and they ask you to be obedient to it. They urge you. They, they, they uh, rebuke you if needed. But you are fortunate if you have a brother or brothers that helps you in this. So you have the word of God. You have brothers. And the very last thing that he said, and you know, he says everything for a reason. He says, God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. They're brothers and sisters. Right there is the key to you and I abstaining from sexual immorality. It is when we walk by the Spirit instead of the flesh. There it is. And it, that, well, that's pretty simplistic, isn't it, Gary? Not really. Not really. Because we, we have trouble surrendering to the Spirit sometimes. But there's the key. We have the Spirit. Listen to what Paul said. This last verse I read, okay? Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, 17. But I say... Walk by the Spirit. Notice he didn't say in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is enabling this walk. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do the spirit of God dear child of God I have no idea what struggles you're having in this area but I could almost say with certainty there are some who are who struggle with this and sometimes it is a lifelong struggle for some people I know and that's why they must constantly rely upon the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens and enables us to walk this path that God has laid out before us. This is God's will for you. Sanctification. Sanctification. But abstain from sexual immorality. How? 
Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Be honest with some people who love you, care for you, and then depend upon the Spirit of God who lives within you. Sanctification. God's will. Let's bow together, shall we? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time we've had together here this morning. Lord, I know in some ways this is a sensitive subject, but, but man, it just seems to be a subject that needs to be dealt with sometimes. And, and Lord, you know our hearts. You know people here in this sanctuary that they've really had a good walk with you by the Spirit, and, and they are quick to cast out thoughts that are against you. They are quick to guard their hearts with the breastplate of faith. And, and God, they, they are men and women who really need to be reaching out and helping others. So, God, I pray for them. If they fall in that category, God, I, I pray that you will take them to people who are struggling with this. And they will become people who, who walk together in this struggle. Lord, I pray for those who, who are struggling. And I say struggling because it is a battle between our flesh and our spirit. I'm sure not throwing stones, Lord. I know that this is a reality. But God, I do know that that's not your desire for us. Make us hate. Make us hate sexual immorality. Not the person who's called in it, but just that passion that hurts people. God, make us hate it. And those who are called up, God, help us love them. Help us love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us join together with them in their journey to walk with them, to encourage them with your word, with truth, to rebuke them if necessary. Lord, I pray for individuals here that never, not yet come to a saving faith in Jesus. And in some way, Lord, that you might have shown them their hopelessness to live out this life. Maybe even some Christians today have acknowledged their hopelessness. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth that their only hope is Jesus Christ. That he is our hope. He is our hope for eternity. He is our hope for today. Lord, I pray that you've been glorified today. I pray that you've been glorified in your, through your word. And I pray that you've been glorified in how we have listened. And God, our, our submission to the Holy Spirit has been a reality this morning. And your word is taking root and will bear fruit. Thank you for your love in Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.